So I was drifting down the shoreline of this lake some time ago fishing for some uh, bass and, and, and the lake was calm and you could kind of hear everything that was happening on the lake uh, early in the morning there because there was, I mean, there was no wind and, and sound on uh, lake water like that just carries farther than what most people realize. But it was fairly early in the morning, about 6.30 in the morning when most people were still sleeping and the sun was just uh, creeping up over the mountaintop to kind of brighten the day and the lake was coming alive with the sound of fish feeding and ducks flying in and all the things. I mean, I just love that time in the morning when everything kind of comes alive. And anyway, as I was drifting down uh, along some cottages along the shoreline, there was this one man sitting on the steps uh, leading down to his dock, uh, sipping on what I assume was a cup of coffee. And I kind of quietly caught his gaze and said, good morning. And what came next kind of caught me off guard because he just, he just started in with this loud conversation about all the bad news and i'm talking about politics i mean he was talking about all this political speaking that that was going on in our country you know and, and he was talking a lot about those people in washington dc you know uh, who are ruining our life uh in quick order and be honest his language was not very nice okay uh not nice at all and, and he talked uh, the more he talked the louder it became you know and and it was too loud for any time in the day let alone 6 30 morning where his neighbors were still sleeping you know and i didn't really respond in agreement or disagreement but rather i just kind of kept tapping the trolling motor trying to move on down the lake you know and get away from him. but it didn't stop him he got up off the steps and he's following me along the property you know it, <laughs> it just didn't work okay and he's just getting louder and louder talking about you know a very loud bitter tone Okay, and I heard him throughout the week doing the same thing with other people, but, but he kept going on about those people in Washington and those people like them, you know, and, and, and they're out to get people like us. He said, like us. He doesn't know me, you know. And to be honest with you, I wasn't real comfortable with the idea of us being us, okay? <laughs> you know, not because our political views were the same or even different, but because he was so angry and so bitter about it all. I didn't really, us, no, let me just go down the lake, you know. It bothered me. It bothered me that rather than enjoy his coffee along the lakeside view, you know, on a beautiful morning, he felt the need to just rant and this bitterness about those people okay i mean it was apparent that he was taken captive by bitterness right uh towards those people especially now i share that story uh, because uh, one the shadow that we're looking at this morning is the shadow of bitterness but two because as i thought about this man and all his bitterness towards a certain group of people who who thought and maybe do things differently you know he thought about them as those people you know uh and, and if you're like me then you think well you know I mean, I couldn't get away. You know, I was like, well, I would never. I hope I am never like that, right? Yes? Yeah, yeah, like, like yeah. But probably if we're honest, a lot of us have some of those people in our lives, right? I mean, now I don't know who those people are for you. Maybe they are people who look different than you, okay, or talk different than you, or dress different than you. I mean, maybe you grew up in the country and they grew up in the city or vice versa, and you have a difficult time with those kind of people, you know. Or maybe they're people who vote different than you do. Or, you know, those people who are part of that party that you'll not even say, you know. Or maybe they're people who sin different than you. You know who I'm talking about, you know, those people who sin different than you, you know. I mean, but, 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 I mean, you sin, right? We all sin, right? 
I didn't hear everybody. Do we all sin, don't we? Yeah, yeah we do. Okay, yeah, you do, in case you didn't know. Okay, yeah, but, but you don't sin like those people do, do you? Right? Not like that, no, not like those people. Or maybe those people are the people who treat you like those people, and because they're treating you all the time like you're those people, you're just going to go, well, okay then, I'll just treat you like those people. Right? And, or, or maybe those people for you are people who owe you something, or they, like, like they owe you money, or they owe you a job, or they owe you a childhood, or, or a marriage, or maybe, maybe they, lo- they owe you an ex. I mean, at the very least, they, they owe you an ex- exclamation, right? I mean, I mean, those people do. Or so the honest truth is, most of us at some point find ourselves living with those people, right? Okay? And those people's approach to life which is different than ours, okay? And the point is, and listen to me closely, church family, because when we think of other people as those people, inevitably, it takes us away from where God wants us to be, right? And and doing what God wants us to do. And inevitably, it takes us away from what God wants of us. And so we're gonna, uh, would you agree? Yeah, okay. And and so we're going to see an example of that this morning as we study the Old Testament character of Jonah for a few minutes today. So if you haven't already, turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to look at it all. Okay, I mean, we're going to kind of skip around, but we'll be in there all morning long. Now, if you're new to this series of messages, uh, we're in this series called Overcoming the Shadows, where we're, we're talking about the importance of checking the shadow spots in our lives, okay, especially the emotional ones, which are the things that we don't often see. They're shadows because we don't often see them unless we're intentional about looking for them, okay? And so we're going to see how Jonah was kind of blinded by the shadow of bitterness, and that bitterness kept him from living out to the full what God wanted for him. Okay, so to give us some context into the Jonah life story, I want you to imagine Jonah standing along the shoreline, okay, uh, for this is where Jonah stood, along the shoreline, okay, facing not a lake, but the Mediterranean Sea, and he's kind of mulling over an important decision. In other words, he he has to make a decision, and and it's about, am I going to do what God wants me to do, or am I going to go in a different direction? Okay, and and as I imagine this event, I imagine he's watching the waves come in and he's trying to determine what his next step's going to be. But he is attacked, maybe, maybe unbeknownst to him, I mean, himself, you know, but bitterness has kind of crept into his mind and he's trying to decide to make this, what he's going to do about this decision in his life. And in Jonah 1.1, we read this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. To which Jonah at first probably thought to himself, well, it's about time, right? <laughs> it's about time. Because this city in Nineveh had been causing all kinds of suffering and all kinds of pain to its neighbors, including, or maybe perhaps especially to our people, Israel, right? Okay. So yeah, it's about time, God, that you did something about those people, right? And so God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to those people, okay? But from, now, now from Joppa, where he is, Jonah's standing, I mean, Jonah's standing there in Joppa along the shoreline. Uh, to Nineveh, it's about 550 miles, and, and it would have been considered, uh, uh, I mean, today it would be considered northern Iraq, okay, to give you some geographical context. And at the time, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and while God calls it a great city, he doesn't mean as it's a great city as in it's a really good city. <laughs> okay, no, he means it's a, it's a really great city as in it's a very powerful city. Right, a lot of power there. And when they, the Assyrians, conquered a nation uh, like Israel, they didn't, they didn't just conquer a nation. They would practice genocide. We talked about how other people would try to assimilate, not the Assyrians. They just kill them. 
Okay, they practiced genocide. And there are inscriptions of the Assyrians from that day of them torturing their enemies and using their skulls as decorations. And every once in a while, you'll see a movie from that time period. And I've always noted the skulls, you know. Anyway, now, Nahum, a prophet who's writing, uh, we find in the Old Testament, he, he talks about the pain and the violence of the city Nineveh. And here's what he writes. He writes, Woe to Nineveh! Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. Wow, that's attractive, right? Want to go there? You know, uh, but that's that city, okay? And God tells Jonah, I want you to go there. I want you to go there, and I want you to preach to them, and that's what I want you to do. So to be clear, Jonah gets from God what a lot of us say we want from God, okay? A clear picture of his purpose, direction, and meaning in life, right? A lot of us say, I'd like to know what the will of God is. He knows, right? I mean, God, just tell me what you want. Just tell me what your will for my life is. And God says, okay, Jonah, here's what I want you. I want of you. Here's my will. I want you to do this, and I want you to go here, and I want you to do it now, okay? Now, but Jonah has this shadow spot of blind bitterness uh, uh, that's crept up on him, and I think yeah, it was probably, I think it's probably been there all along it, and actually probably grown up over the generations. The Bible doesn't say, but, you know, people were people, and I'm kind of, I mean, my guess is his grandparents, and if not his grandparents, certainly his parents probably would have talked to Jonah about those people, okay? Uh, and we don't, you know, like, like they would probably say things like, and we don't have anything to do with those people, okay? Because, well, you know what those people have done to our people? Yeah, so we don't do that, okay? So he grew up in a home, I think probably, where a lot of the talk in the home was about those people, and at times it grew loud, and it grew bitter, and that's, you know, it was that kind of talk, okay, in a home where he grew up. Now God's saying, I want you to go to those people, and I want you to preach to those people. And Jonah had this shadow spot of uh, uh, bitterness, okay? And the thing about the shadow spot of bitterness is, is if, if, if it's left unchecked, it just gets bigger, right? It just gets bigger. Like over time, it always grows out of proportion, okay? So Hebrews talks about this uh, in Hebrews in the New Testament, in Hebrews 12, 15. Uh, because it grows like this, uh, the Hebrew writer warns Christ followers, he says, don't let the root of bitterness begin to grow. Don't let it begin to grow. Don't let it take root. Because once bitterness takes root, it takes over. Okay, it's kind of like a bad weed. Once it gets some roots, it's just uncontrollable, you know? And I mean, that's what happens. Now, it, it, it's, it, it, so it's happening to Jonah, and now it's determining the course of his life. And for some of you, you understand how this works, right? Like, you understand this because you've been hurt by someone in the past, and as much as you're trying to leave it in the past, it just, it just well, it just kind of stays with you right? It just kind of stays with you, and it seems like it's even grown bigger in your life. And even today, it affects relationships that maybe you don't want it to affect. You don't want it to, but it does. For instance, maybe when you were growing up, your dad was just very absent. Maybe there was a divorce, and, and that puts you in the impossible position of caught in between, and you just you didn't hear from him very much. And while you maybe told yourself, that doesn't bother me, I don't need him, I just don't need him, and I'm going to move forward without him, you know, by just kind of letting him go, Deep down, you really haven't, right? Deep down, you really haven't, not really. And so it's just kind of allowed you to, you know, it's kind of followed you around, lurking in the shadows throughout your life. In fact, the more you pretend like it's not a thing, the bigger thing it becomes, right? And this is how bitterness kind of works, okay? So, so if left unchecked, if left undealt with, it just takes root and it takes over. 
Or maybe for some of you it was a promise that was made on a wedding day that was supposed to be until death we do part, but then you found some text messages, okay? And then like with each text message, the bitterness began to grow a little and a little and a little, and now it's just anger and bitterness that kind of dominate your soul. Or maybe, maybe it's towards God. Sometimes it's, for some people it's just a bitterness towards God because you prayed that she would get better and you were on your knees beside her bed and these were prayers of hope and, and prayers of worship but then she didn't get better in fact she got worse and little by little those worshipful prayers became angry accusations and eventually it became as a bitter silence and now you don't even remember the last time you prayed because deep down you're just bitter or maybe it was a best friend who knew everything about you because you had told her everything about you and then and you know you trusted her okay but then the trust was betrayed and the rumors began to spread and now you haven't talked to her in a very long time but even now, there's like something within you. Like there's this voice within you that says, don't get too close. Don't trust. Don't ever let that happen again because that's what bitterness does. It just kind of poisons us. It gets, if left unchecked, it gets bigger and it takes over. And some of you feel very much entitled to bitterness, okay? I mean, if you have bitterness, some people, they're enti- they feel entitled to it, but like what they're going through. They think it's probably, I think that's probably true of Jonah. He's like, I've got good reasons Right? I got good reasons to be bitter. I mean, if you would have said to him, hey, Jonah, aren't you like one of God's people? So how can you say no to God out of bitterness in your heart? Like, how can you do that? Right. Like, because it's God telling you to do this. Right. I mean, I mean, he probably would have had a story. How can you do it? Well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what what I've been through. Okay. He probably could have justified his bitterness. And there may have been, I mean, it may have been by by the Assyrians some violence committed against a member of his family, perhaps a rape or someone, you know, something terrible. He'd have had a terrible story. And the truth is, most likely he would have had, you know, just horrifying stories to tell, you know, from from his family's past. And some of you feel that way. Like you you deserve to be bitter for the rest of your life. What's happened to me? Because honestly, that's you, you know? That's you. But let me ask you, how's that working? Right? How's that working? I mean, I heard somebody talk about bitterness this way. Bitterness is like lighting yourself on fire hoping that the smoke will bother the other person. Right? That's kind of like what, it's, what it is. Okay? Or I've heard some people think, well, you know what? I've got them in prison, and I'm going to keep them in prison. <laughs> the truth is, you're the one in prison. Right? You're the one in prison. I mean, bitterness, if left unchecked, it begins to take over, and it imprisons you. And when we are imprisoned by bitterness, friends, it makes it really hard to go in the direction that God's calling us to, right? So Jonah stands at this port in Joppa, and he knows what God wants him to do, but he's kind of blinded by this shadow of bitterness. So verse 3 says, Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed towards Tarshish. I got, did I get that right? That's like a fun word. You want to say that with me? Let's do it. One, two, three, Tarshish. Let's do it again, Tarshish. Three times, Tarshish. No, don't do that. Okay. So Nineveh's like 500. It's one of those words that's, you know, you go, someone else read. Okay. Anyway, Nineveh's like 550 miles like the other way, and it's not really in the same neighborhood. Okay. I mean, in modern geography, God says, I want you to go to Iraq, and Jonah says, Spain? Not the same. Okay. And he starts going on this journey towards Tarshish. Why? Because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. (laughs) He doesn't want to go there. Or to be more precise, he doesn't want to go to those people. Right? Doesn't want to go preach to those people. Which begs the question, so who are those people, Jonah? And Jonah, justification is those are the people who rebel against God. 
They've been doing it forever. Those are the people who rebel against God. And so then maybe if you're interviewing Jonah, you could say, you mean the people who, who, who uh, don't do what God tells them to do? Yeah, Jonah would say, yeah, those people, okay? You know, the people who pretend like God hasn't spoken or pretend like God doesn't exist. Yeah, those people. And here's what, what Jonah does, okay? Now, now catch this. In an effort to avoid those people who don't obey God, he becomes one of those people, right? He becomes one of those people. And one of the reasons we live in bitterness is because we don't recognize. That, I mean, that's the reality. He's become one of those people. And, and, and one of the reasons we, we struggle with bitterness is because we don't recognize that all of us, to some extent, are those people. We are those people. I mean, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I mean, we're all those people, to some degree. Now, I mean, you tell me, friends, isn't this why the good news of God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice, I mean, isn't this why we call the good news the good news? I mean, this is where the gospel begins. For everyone has sinned and fallen short. Yes? Yeah, like everybody here this morning has sinned, and everybody has fallen short of the glory of God, right? Yes? Yeah. Okay, so in reality, answer me, church, who's run from God? Everyone. Everyone has run from God. So in reality, who are those people? everybody is those people right that is the reality and the truth is we are all those people and that's the truth and those of us who think not okay well most of us that think not are just one paycheck and we're just one paycheck one divorce one drug addicted kid one mental health illness one serious illness one sexual assault one drinking binge one affair from being one of those people okay the ones that we don't trust the ones that we pity the ones that we don't let our children play with the ones the ones bad things seem to happen to all the time the ones we don't want to live next door to us i mean the honest truth is we're all those people and yet somehow this shadow spot, this shadow spot in our own lives, the bitterness sets in when we fail to recognize it and how we know it sets in is when, is when we start to think, well, there's us and there's them. You know, those people. And in reality, as God sees it, we're all those people. We all are. And we're all the people who ignore the hurts of others as long as everything seems going good for us and we're comfortable. We just kind of ignore it, okay? We just don't look at it. I mean, we're all those people who sometimes stand on the shoreline and rant and rave about those people. I mean, maybe even on the way to church here this morning. I mean, we just, we just might, I mean, it might be that those people who, we might be among those that are those people who yell at each other on the way to church in the car, you know, you know and, and you know, all the way to church we yell and then we get out and we pretend like everything's good and people go, how are you doing? Oh, we're fine. <laughs> you ever, you know? You know what I'm saying, church? Yeah. Uh, and, and we're all those people who think somehow God loves us more because, well, because we don't do what they do. Okay, but the truth is, at some point, we are all, all those people who've taken God's seat and sat in the self-righteous judgment of other people. And we're all those people who've lost control and yelled and called names and said things that we wish we wouldn't have said or done things we wish we could undo. Like, we're all those people, okay? I mean, that is the reality, is it not, church? It is. Yeah, it is. And Jonah somehow was missing that reality. And when you're missing that reality, it's easy to live in bitterness because bitterness is usually rooted in the shadow of self-righteousness. So verse 4, it says, Then the Lord sent a, a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, fall apart. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Notice that's a little g, 
false gods, okay? And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And so Jonah says no to God, and God doesn't just say, well, okay, who's up next? Obadiah? Like, Obadiah is right next to Jonah. Uh, Obadiah, you're on deck. You're up next, okay? Come on down to the port. Is that what God does? No, he does not. So let's see what God does, how he handles it. Here's, let's see how he handles it. So first off, I think it's good to see that God goes after Jonah. If you're a note taker, we didn't have note section in your outline, but you could write that down. God, God goes after Jonah like he's going to give him a second chance, right? Okay, he goes after him. I mean, this is good, or, or better yet, I mean, it's the power of God's grace, okay? Because what, what we see is Jonah's disobedience doesn't immediately disqualify him to do what God has called him to do. Okay, so God goes after Jonah by sending a storm, and I think that's interesting because he chases him and he follows him in the storm, in this storm in Jonah's life. So listen, for some of you who've been on the run from God for a very long time, and now you find yourself surrounded by the wind and the waves, don't just assume that the wind and the waves are somehow evidence that God has abandoned you. But it just may be that in his grace and in his mercy and his pursuit of you, well, his grace for you is found in the wind and the waves. Okay, like you can run, but he's not going to make it easy for you. Okay, so he so he sends this storm. Verse five says that it was a great storm. Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell asleep. Dramamine, I'm guessing, you know, because <laughs> I, something I don't maybe they didn't have that, but something. Okay, because the captain can't believe Jonah's sleeping, but he says to Jonah, "How can you sleep?" Because the captain can't believe it. Okay, how can you sleep? And don't miss what the pagan captain says to me. He says, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not all perish. Okay, the captain says, this pagan captain says, if you call out to God, maybe he'll have compassion on us. You know, we maybe don't deserve it, but maybe he'll have compassion on us. So the sea gets, gets worse, and the sailors start to recognize that this is something supernatural going on here, you know. And so in verse 9, Jonah finally comes clean. And he says, hey, guys, uh, as it turns out, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship this God. He says, I worship the Lord God, yeah, the real one, the one who has made the sea and the land. And can't you just imagine these guys are like, wait, wait, you got on a ship to get away from the God that controls the sea? That's your plan, man? You know, <laughs> I mean, and Jonah's probably like, well, I wasn't seeing it real clearly, you know, but I just didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he's, he, he's trying to run from God, and the sailors are terrified, and they say, because this is like Jonah's God now. They know this is Jonah's God doing this. And so they say, what, they, they, what do we do? What do we do? Verse 12, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, though, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, oh, Lord, please. Now they're praying to the real God, right? The one real one, okay? You know, he's got them praying to the, the God of, of all things. The Lord, they say, oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm bet you got some believers now right yeah believers now yeah so anyway now this is the part of the story that many of us as children remember and, and, and i mean we're pretty familiar with this part of the story and this is the part of the story where there's jonah and then there's this whale right and it reads like a fairy tale right and, but look at verse 17 again it says the lord provided a great fish doesn't say whale says the Lord provided this great fish, provided, like God 
provided, God sent, God created this great fish that would allow Jonah to survive for three days and three nights. Okay? Now, because this sounds like a fairy tale, I mean, I've had people whirl their eyes and say, like, you really believe that part? Well, Jesus did. Right? Jesus spoke about it several times. And I don't even think it's that hard to believe, to be honest, because if you believe in a God who can create the whole earth and the entire universe and all the galaxies at a word, a big fish isn't that big a deal, right? I mean, I don't think he has any trouble. I don't have that. And by the way, I mean, to roll your eyes and say, really? That's kind of, for mankind to do that, that's arrogance towards God. I mean, we as human beings who have built submarines that can take whole groups of people underwater for months at a time, and then we look at God who created the universe and go, I think that's a little much for him, right? I mean, it's too hard to believe. How do you think God would respond to that? Oh, really? You think that's too hard for me? Okay, at any rate, God allows this fish to scoop up Jonah, and God's real clear with the fish. He's like, swallow, but don't chew. Okay, now it doesn't say that, okay? It's not in there, but it's implied, okay? It's implied. Uh, So let's all note, this great fish also, you know, God's creation obeys God and, and, you know, doesn't chew, okay? So chapter two begins with Jonah and the great fish, and Jonah's doing something here we haven't seen him do at all in the story yet. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Hadn't done that before. Like, that would have been a good one to start with, right? But it's just now, yeah, we shake our head. Yeah, like, what was he thinking? How many have done it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it would have been a good one to start with, okay? But, but inside the fish, he prays, okay? But here's, it's a good idea. Probably should have led with it, but thank God he's a God of second chances, right? Second chance. So he worships to God. Verse 2, he said, In my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So Jonah is stuck in this miraculous, you know, he, he, he's, he's caught up in this miraculous salvation. Now, it's a little messy, and it's kind of gross. I mean, if you've ever seen, like, a little fishy come out of a bigger fishy after it's been in there a while, you know, it's, like, all bleached out, and it doesn't have, you know, it's, you know, it's like, it's, a me- it's messy in there, living inside of a fish. Chapter 2, verse 10. My Old Testament professor said he believes that's why everybody listened to Jonah when he preached because he came out bleached out and no hair, you know, from being in that fish. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's a... Anyway, chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. And imagine just being in Nineveh, and up comes this great fish, goes, and out comes this prophet, all bleached out, no hair. You're going to listen to what he has to say, right? So, so now fast forward to verse 1, chapter 3. We read, then the word of the Lord, now listen to this, came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So it's like redo right second chance it's like let's do it again let's try this again jonah it's almost the exact same language from chapter one the word of the lord came a second time and i want to say something here to all you parents about the principle of first time obedience okay i mean this is why you want to teach your children first time obedience okay which is you listen when i tell you the first time right first time obedience that's good training for for you know when they have to answer to like god appointed individuals of authority in their life. God says, obey your authorities, right? Honor your authorities. You know, so you, you, they practice, 
uh, to listen to those authorities, their teachers, their, their principals, the police officers, you know, first-time obedience. But more importantly, so when God tells them to do something, they go, yes, the first time, okay? Otherwise, life will get real messy. You get real messy if you don't listen. And for those who are trying to kind of ride out the storm of your life, for you it's the word of the Lord comes again, okay? Or the word of the Lord comes a second time or maybe a third time or a fourth time, uh, meaning I, I don't know how many times it is for you, but the word of the Lord's coming again today. I mean, if you're listening to this message, whether you're here or you're, whether you're at home, it's the Lord coming to you again saying this time, I mean this time, this is the time. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and that's good news because he doesn't have to respond this way, the way he did the last time, okay? And that's true for you and I, okay? I mean, you don't have to respond this time the way you responded the last time or the time before or the time before. It's, a, it's another chance. So how did Jonah respond this time? Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went, he went to Nineveh. Good decision, Jonah, right? Everybody's like, yay, Jonah, right? Good decision. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches this message. In 40 days, the city will be destroyed. In other words, God's wrath is going to be poured out, and you're going to be destroyed in, 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 uh, in 40 days. But from Jonah's perspective, the people, he feels like they don't deserve this, okay? Because they are, of course, those people, <laughs> right? He doesn't think they deserve it because they're those people. Now, listen, it's good that we all hear this because, I mean, let us all remember that we are those people. But Jonah... He's still not quite there yet. I mean, you all said, yeah, we're those people. Jonah's not seeing that yet. From his perspective, he deserves a second chance, but those people don't, right? Verse 6 says, And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And he issues this decree, verse 8. Let everyone call urgently on God, Jonah's God, you know. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So God sees that the people repent, and then he sees that they call out to him. And in verse 10, it says, when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. And that, and, and we all should go like, yay, right? Yay, the city of Nineveh is saved, right? And, and so it's like, yes, good story, the end. They're saved, right? That's not how it goes, okay? I mean, it is up to that point. And that feels like it should be the end of the story. But Jonah, Jonah, like, he gets a second chance, and he goes, and he experiences God's grace in his life, a second chance. And the people in Nineveh experience God giving them a second chance, too. And God doesn't bring his righteous destruction, you know, that he had threatened on them. And it's the end. All is well because it ends well, right? Everybody got second chances. Everybody responded. It's all good. And that should be the end of the story, right? But it's not the end of the story. Why? Because Jonah's not happy about those people. Like he wants it for himself, God's grace, but he doesn't want it for those people. So chapter 4 begins this way. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. <laughs> okay, I mean, if I'm God, it's not how I, you know, Jonah's saying, well, if, 
that's not the way I'd have done things, you know, right? And so he becomes angry. So Jonah is like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to do this, Lord. This is, what I, this is why I wanted to go to Tarshish, you know, because I knew, I mean, I was right to do what I did because I knew you would do this. I mean, you're so compassionate and you're so loving. I just knew. And then it sounds a little bit like a worship song, but it's not because he says, and we sing these words, right? You know, like, but this is not his attitude. He says, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love and we think that is good right and he's thinking not good this is not good that this is who you are towards those people okay now how does jonah know that well we know how he knows it because that's how god has treated jonah i mean how he's been with you that's how he's been with you jonah he's been gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in love that's now jonah wants it for himself but but not for them chapter 4 verse 3 he says, a God who relents from sending calamity, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see it? I'd rather be dead than those people get grace. I can't live in a world like this. Now, let's take a step back and kind of unpack it a little. This is the account of Jonah. Thus far, we have the prophet praying two prayers. One of them is expressing appreciation for God's grace in his life, but the other prayer is a prayer of bitterness because he doesn't think other people deserve what he got. Now let me ask you, church family, don't, please don't answer this out loud, but does that sound like any Christians that you maybe been around when it's they talk about those people? Like we sing and we worship the God of grace and forgiveness. I mean, I, I thank you, God, for your grace to me. But what you mean, I mean, what, what do you mean? Those people too? Those people too? What, what they did to me after what they did to me? And Jonah is filled with this anger and this resentment. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place. Here's the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to see to ease his discomfort. And Jonah, he was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant, so it withered. Now, people who read this story have a problem with the fish, but they're okay with, like, a plant comes up big enough to give them shade, then it dies the next day with a worm, and they go, they don't quit. Yeah, I can see God doing that, which is interesting. Anyway, verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and then the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, it is right for you to be angry about the, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. Jonah says, it is right that I, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And God's point, well, Jonah didn't do anything to have the shade in the first place, right? It was just by God's grace, okay? And, I mean, he didn't plant that plant, you know, it was just there, and yet he feels entitled to be angry with God, the same God who brought the good thing into his life. And still somehow he now feels like it's fair for him to be angry because the good thing that God had provided that he had nothing to do is no longer part of his life story. And so it's kind of the same, same all over again. There's this root of bitterness and selfishness. It's overcome Jonah, and it's turned into this, 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 this attitude of entitlement. Chapter 4, verse 9. But the Lord said, look, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. You didn't do anything. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, and should I not 
have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. And that's God's word on it. I'm the one, I'm the creator, right? What's it to me if I'm concerned? Should I not be concerned? 120,000 saved. Jonah's saying I'd rather be dead. The end. That's the Jonah story. Now, if you're new to the story, you're probably thinking, that's it? That's how it ends? <laughs> like, isn't there a chapter 5? Like, you know, I mean, I mean, there should be a chapter 5 because this, I mean, this is the end of the story. Jonah is angry and bitter because he wants God's grace for himself, but he doesn't want it for those other people. And we have every indication that's just how it was. That's how he decided to live. And somehow we're left wanting. I mean, we're left wanting for chapter 5 where Jonah gets turned around, right? But that's how it ends. Now, let me ask you, church family, can you, can you imagine living that way? Can you imagine living in such a way where you come and you worship God and you sing about his forgiveness and you sing about his grace in your life and then when it comes to giving it to other people, you're like, well, that's just too much to ask. That's just too hard for me. That's just a little bit too messy. God, thank you for what you've done for me, but I'd rather die than you give it to those people, right? I mean, that sounds like a child who's just way too spoiled, right? I mean, I mean, uh, uh, our kids have talked to us about don't spoil our kids too much, you know, your grandchildren too much, because the last thing we want is our child to be that child, right? You know what I'm talking about? The one that's so titled, you know? We don't want our child to be that child. But that's the whole story. That's how it ends. I wish it didn't end that way. I mean, I think of Jesus... Uh, unjustly tried i think of jesus unjustly beaten with an incident of his life unjustly hung on a cross and yet he prays for those those who so unjustly treated him so uh, this prayer of grace he says father forgive them for they know not what they do like they don't know their right hand from their left i mean i wish that's the way the story of jonah ended but it's not instead it's a story of bitterness anger and hurt and how it ended is just doesn't leave you very satisfied but the question this morning is really about your story. I mean, we know these stories have been given to us to warn us that we might learn from them. So, so the question this morning is, what about your story? How will your story end? I mean, if you've been overcome by the shadow of bitterness, I know there's a part of you that, that wants resentment, that you want to hold on to it, and you think by letting go, you're letting them get away with it. And you think by extending forgiveness that you're justifying or minimizing what they've done to you. But because of the cross of Jesus, we've all been forgiven. Because of Jesus, we've been washed clean. And so because of what we receive from him, I mean, isn't it only just that we give it freely to others as well? And all God's people said, let's pray that it might be so. Father, we come this morning and we give thanks for the example of Jesus. We give thanks for the example of Jonah too that we might learn, Lord, uh, how dangerous it is, these shadows that lie in the darkness seeking to attack us seeking to oppress us and take us over that we can't see unless we just really intently look for them and so lord we pray for the spirit this morning that you might help us see that we'd be able to examine our own lives and see see what lies in the darkness that maybe sneaks up on us and gets us and leads us off the path that you've chosen for us because we we're just blinded to the shadows 
we're blinded to the shadows. So Lord, we pray, we pray for sight today. We pray for light, that we'd be able to see into the shadows and not be overtaken, that we would overcome, that we might be victorious, that we might be able to walk the path to the fullness that you have, you want us to walk it. We pray it would be so. We pray it for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sing a song in response this morning.